You are now tuned in to the Plaza Advisors podcast. Top 10 or multiple leases, multiple tenants. You know, what's the average timeline? You know, retail for investments are purchased based upon a stream of cash flow from tenants, from credit tenants, the value of which is in the tenants' leases, you know, the stream of cash flow. Hi, welcome to our commercial real estate podcast. This is Jeff Dervich of Plaza Advisors here. I appreciate you listening in with us. Today we have a great show. The topic for our conversation will be architectural design relating to shopping center product. We will discuss trends in the space, how to transform aging centers to new vibrant assets, and renovation tips and efficiencies for owners. Our discussion will include ideas for keeping your center fresh and energized, new retailer prototypes, and the future pathway for design and accommodating the new age consumer, their demands, and evolving shopping patterns. Our guest today is Deaton Babis with BDG Architects. Deaton currently serves as Vice President, consulting shopping center owners, developers, private investors, as well as public and private shopping center REITs on repositioning, redeveloping, and design of their shopping center assets. Deaton began his career in architecture over 31 years ago. He attended undergrad at the University of Florida, receiving a Bachelor of Design in Architecture, followed by a Master's in Architecture from the University of Colorado, Denver. Deaton currently resides in Tampa, Florida, is very active with ICSE, and has worked on countless retail shopping center projects throughout the state of Florida. Deaton, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for that kind introduction, Jeff. Absolutely. Uh, hello, everybody. I'm Deaton. Absolutely. It's our pleasure to have you. Uh, Deaton, if you would, tell us some of your background. When did you begin to show passion for architecture, uh, starting your career, and path as to how you arrived to where you are today with BDG? It's a pretty typical one. I had a passion from a very young age. I'm one of those architects that was, I think, maybe born, not made. Um, It was always in me from a young age with drawing and and designing things. Um, Architects can be made, too, um, through training and education, and uh, and they they can gain that passion later in their career, uh, and they can be fine architects, too. I'm just one of the ones that, that, that was fortunate enough to know from a very young age that, that this is what I wanted to do. Um, came uh, out of out of uh, Florida, and then and then my first job, I moved to uh, Honolulu. Quite an exciting time back then. Uh, every firm, if you were a, a three man shop or a twenty man firm, a twenty person firm, you everybody had a high rise in their office. It was amazing. Um, uh, that was the Pacific Rim economy. It wasn't really. Um, affected as much by the by the mainland economy, U.S. mainland economy, and when I came out of school, I didn't know there was sort of a, a mini recession going on. Denver uh, had just come out of a big the big oil bust and, and all those problems, and um, and so I started my career with a big international firm in Honolulu, transferred with them to finish uh, and got my master's to complete my education to get licensed in Denver with their Denver office and then was doing big uh, mega projects with that firm in Denver for many years until I decided to move back to Florida with my family. That's awesome. And and are you what what area are you from? The Florida, born and raised here in Tampa in Florida? Or? Uh, no, actually, uh, Tallahassee, and then Go became Knowles. a Gator. <laughs> oh, and then you became a Gator. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And did you see a big change from like Hawaii in the way that they do design and, and the way that they view projects, and then coming over to you know Colorado and, and Denver? I mean, is there oh, a big yeah. difference in designs? Yes. Uh, regionally, um, the country has quite different. Um, 
uh, construction methods and techniques and, and even their development processes are just quite different. Yeah. That's interesting. That's awesome. And so, you know, tell us exactly as an architect and in a design role, you know, for our audience, please tell us exactly what is an architect and what role do they play in the shopping center development process? Well, uh, really an architect, uh, you have to be licensed to practice architecture to, uh, to be an architect. And, and being licensed means you have a professional degree, a long internship, and a, and a, and a very extensive examination uh, to, even get, to even be eligible to, to practice. And that takes at least nine years um, to, to, do, to go through all that if you kind of get it right first shot. And so what do architects do and what, why do we purpose? Uh, we really provide functional uh, solutions to, to, to buildings and for buildings and structures and um, you know, you know, to make them habitable um, and at the same time aesthetically pleasing. It, it's, it's an art and a science. I think it's unique that way because you know, when, it, when something becomes art, it's a matter of taste. Do I like it or not? So, so we're very, our work is continually scrutinized, criticized, praised, uh, defamed, you know, mm, yeah. throughout history because of that artistic side of it. It's, it's a matter of taste it can become. Uh, and tastes do change too, uh, even from client to client, you know, period, time period to time period, um, culture to culture. And in the science end of it, you know, we're an art and a science. It is a, um, there's the technical side that we really have to know codes and requirements to protect uh, the public. And so the other half of design and aesthetics would be, we have to protect the health, uh, safety and welfare. That's the big three for us. That's our, our duty, our job, our responsibility by code and governance and ethics. Um, and we even have to have continuing ed for that every year, uh, quite a few hours uh, to stay active with that. You know, the architect is kind of the orchestra leader of, you know, the project or can be, you know, between, you know, engineering and, and construction and things of that nature. Can you, can you go into a little bit of, of how you work with the other team members on, on kind of putting, you know, the music together per se? Yeah, you know, um, th th that's a good kind of a term to, to look at us as like the orchestra leader. It's... Most of the disciplines, the engineering disciplines, you have uh, structural engineering, mechanical, plumbing, electrical, fire protection, sprinklers and whatnot. Um, all of those disciplines and trades, if you will, are typically and historically under our contract, under our umbrella. And we uh, coordinate all of that work. So even though we're, I'm personally not designing the, uh, the you know, the, the riser diagram for, for a electrical panel or the plumbing system, I need to know about these things. We, we need to have a very deep knowledge of all the trades and disciplines. So um, it, it, there's a much higher level of, of coordination and understanding that, that architects typically might need to have. Yeah, and that's that's uh, that's interesting and, and well put. And um, so to, to kind of talk about the shopping center and the retail landscape, in your opinion, what are some changes to design and efficiencies you've seen in the retail in the retail sector, specifically anchored shopping centers and unanchored strip development. You know, over time, the dynamics and the way that the center is built and the way that it looks and the way that it feels is much different 
you know, say 50 years ago as to what is the new age shopping center. Yeah. So can yeah. you kind of dive into that a little bit and, and explain to us, um, you know, what are some changes you've seen to design? Absolutely. They, um, it, it's fluid. Uh, it, retail architecture especially is more fluid than other uh, building types and um, um, project types. Um, really because it has a shorter life cycle. Tenancies seem to uh, tend to turn over sh- quicker, uh, shorter leases greater chances for success and failure for some tenants uh, make the centers more fluid uh, for tenancies. But more importantly, uh, we're not, on, to be honest, building these buildings a lot of times to be uh, to, built to last for 50 or 100 years. They, they, tend to be, they tend to want to be more flexible, meaning have the ability to change over time as we change and as tenancies and the way people do business change over time. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you have centers in the past that, you know, big box and, and think and things of that nature. And those are currently in the process of insert, you know, where the former facility is no longer, um, you know, it's functionally obsolete per se. And then you have different uses coming in and repositioning and uh, retenanting with other uses besides retail in some of these larger boxes and some of these shopping centers from medical to self-storage yeah. to multifamily to church uses, uh, amongst others. Can you just talk about what you're seeing in the space as it relates to that? Yeah, you know, I think uh, people back after 2008 took a, a, a few more chances out of necessity with with their with their tenants uh, bringing in different kinds of tenants uh, because you had to make a strategic decision whether your center was going to be a continue to be a shopping center maybe or it converts into something that really is something a little bit different and when more medical tenants or office tenants and those non-traditional true uh, dry goods shopping tenants or service oriented tenants uh, or not, not as many of them available, um, there's a tipping point for a center where it just changes and there, there may even be no coming back and without a major redevelopment. So um, these tenants, and of course we took a lot of the big boxes and started bifurcating them and bringing in uh, you know, junior anchors, filling those, backfilling those, that still continues of course. But uh, there's more specific things that have happened with site plans and power centers and, uh, you know, the actual just traditional shopping center layout uh, with respect to junior anchors, big boxes, and uh, specifically inline strips and whatnot. So things have changed and are changing. A lot of different things. Absolutely. And, and you know, going to some of the, you know, grocery anchor shopping centers or other other components um, such as uh, you know Target, Publix, all these retailers that are out there. Can you talk about the prototypes that they have and kind of some of the different designs that they're using? And and as the as consumers have evolved and consumer preferences have changed and the way that they shop is much different of in the past. You know, a lot of these uh, retailers, a lot of these grocery stores are creating prototypes to make it more user friendly, um, which includes curbside pickup delivery. Um, you know, housing portions of their of their back of house for um, almost like a you know you know, Amazon last mile type stuff. Can you talk about a little bit about that how that, how that's affected your design? Absolutely. The, um, 
the centers themselves, whether you have um, a big box juniors or, uh, or, or dominated by strips, shops, small shops, uh, we're seeing a lot, uh, we have seen over the past decade really, uh, fewer full arcades, those hard canopies with um, um, you know, the entire, we're redeveloping centers right now. Every column, every shop is colonnaded with a full hard canopy, big masonry columns out front. And uh, you know, we're trying to, to, to sort of thin that out, uh, make it less massive and a little bit more uh, light and, and airy and, and uh, you know, transparency. Uh, it's terribly expensive to do entire full run arcades. We love them in Florida. You know, but we don't like to walk out in the sun from parking space to shops front storefront in Florida. But these hard arcades going from shop to shop, they're they're very costly, and we don't do that anymore. If you notice, most of our canopies, so to speak, uh, in quotes, canopies, are projections, recesses, awnings, and those kinds of things. You know, more faux, and 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 so the construction costs of We've really responded to make the buildings, retail buildings, more efficient. Quite frankly, um, what is an arcade? I'm sorry to stop you. An arcade, like a colonnade. If you're if you're walking down, you, you know, uh, the sidewalk along your storefronts, uh, whether it's small shops or it's, um, you're really talking about, um, um, you know, here's your store, and and here's a person walking un- under the arcade. You know, this is open. Gotcha. And so, but this is your store, first storefront door, and then here's the shop, you know, this is the roof. Gotcha. So I just drew a little diagram, uh, just a full arcade, like a colonnade with with a hard canopy that has a roof and a lid. It could be a sloped roof or, uh, you know, but, but not just projected awnings with like tie rods and suspended things. Gotcha. Uh, uh, more, more heavy structures out front. They've disappeared. Uh, much more efficient cost-wise. We're using a lot of different materials like wood and metals and rain screens that are uh, more transparent, uh, less heavy stucco, although Florida's still a big stucco state. Um, we, of course, have more uh, energy codes and, and hurricane codes that have really pumped up the need to, to tighten up the buildings, have added costs, but, but, but you can't see rents increase because we have, uh, you know, higher R values or insulation or or uh, stronger hurricane uh, resistance. Uh, that's just as it comes with the territory of living in Florida, and designing in Florida. Um, but really, this 25-year 25 year life cycle that I suggested. What I mean by that that, that that's something that, that I, I sort of feel through observation over the last 20 to 30 years of of, of being in the industry is. Um, uh, especially retail architecture, you need to refresh and renovate along the way within those 25 years appropriately to respond to retenancies and, and, and whatnot. But a major redevelopment is in order or maybe almost even a scrape and, and rebuild after about 25 years. Uh, the, the buildings, it's just not gonna probably work for how retail is so fast, adaptive, and changing, and, and we're seeing it today especially. Absolutely, and talk about maybe some of the technologies that have come into play that have help, helped you, helped you display your ideas to clients. You know, you know, there's there's a lot of 3D renderings, and there's like, when, when people are building new shopping center projects that are um, pre-construction, they have a lot of, um, 
you know, virtual, you know, VR, virtual reality that can show you the project, fly the project, get you, you know, the feel of, of the atmosphere and kind of you can get a flow of what's going on there. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's um, that that's the exciting part too. Is um, not just helping our clients get permits and and, and get their tenants uh, in and occupied and start collecting rent. Well, that's the end game. But the um, the whole idea of helping uh, to see if a project is even feasible, helping it helping initiate one or kick one off, we can be very valuable f- uh, for for our uh, developer clients, especially uh, as architects. Because we can, we can do due diligence reports, and, and you know you're talking about the fancy flybys and the, and the beautiful pictures. That helps you sell it to tenants. That helps you make deals. That helps you get a lease signed. Uh, so those 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 conceptual lease outline drawings or little test fits or site test fits. The the, the if we turn it 3D and, and, and give you some facade add some color, what could the project look like without really going into full design? Uh, we can do a lot of pre-development help like that to help you land deals uh, and, um, and, and and get early approvals even. You can start to run it by either uh, the important tenants or, or the prototype type tenants or um, because every job has some level of customization to it, uh, sure. even if you're using a prototype. Getting investors on board with the project. Absolutely. Um, and then um, a lot of times even uh, getting early feedback from jurisdictions, that the, the authorities having jurisdiction, well, that ARC, DRC, pre-planning, pre-zoning approvals and all that, very site-oriented, but they always want to see the elevation and the footprint along with that early rezone kind of activity. So we plug in earlier than, than most people might think and do have that value. Um, the, 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 don't, don't underestimate the value of our, our, um, our ability to wear different hats like for due diligence, to help you with property assessment reports, uh, things that could really add value to your, uh, to your pro formas. So let's like, talk about that. So yeah. if you're a shopping center owner and you're under contract to buy an asset, you know, 15, 20, 40,000 square foot anchored or unanchored product, you know, primarily unanchored in this example, talk about what you can do to help a buyer. Uh, we love that. We, we love looking at the property uh, early on and uh, understanding the kind of, uh, you know, what what the entitlements are, are the, do they have the ability to develop it in, in a manner that it could add value to the center? Is it is it big enough to even carve an out parcel out and add an, an entire out parcel? You could capture an entire new property out of it. Uh, if it's not that large, you could look at other ways like adding an end cap that has more value, perhaps by adding a patio uh, for patio seating, opening that up for a restaurant tenant, or even a drive-through, adding a drive-through on. Um, we look at inline Chipotle, let's say, at the end cap. They have a, they, they, I have heard that they are just exploding with the this, this short-term success of the test of their, of their, of their new drive-through just pickup window call-ahead thing. Mm-hmm. It's not a traditional pickup window. They don't need all that space or stacking. Um, so the sites can be tight. You have to look at the efficiencies of the site. Um, we can also look at other things like redeveloping it on another level. Uh, creating new patios, this end cap idea that I've come up with to um, to 
that maybe I shouldn't get into that. That's a whole other discussion. We you can actually we have ideas where and have actually tested it, done it successfully in a completed project where we recommended to actually remove leasable square footage from a strip, and we created more value and almost have the identical. Uh, we, we almost made up for that lost bay. We, we, we removed an entire bay in the center of a strip, a very long strip, created a patio seating area, a paseo, connected front and back parking lots before it was terribly efficient, This exact, the specific center I'm discussing. A um, lot of parking in the back. They had to walk all the way around the building to get to the storefronts. Uh, we solved that problem. We gave these new inner center tenants that are facing this new patio breezeway that we, that, we, that we broke through from front wall to back wall of the building, took an entire 20 foot by 60 foot bay out basically mm-hmm. and made it a patio. And uh, both tenants facing that patio that are inner, I call them in caps, I-N caps instead of end caps. Love it. They, uh, they both can share the patio space. They pay a little rent on the patio. Obviously, the rents are higher for these in caps, so you can almost make up the one-to-one rent. You're a few dollars short, maybe. It's made up for by the tenancies of all the other ones being improved. You get a better, uh, uh, longer, uh, higher credit-rated tenants overall in your center, and just the value after it's done has increased. And it's more viable moving into the future to release that space and, mm. and the way and the design to flow. And as you re-tenant the plaza and, and you work with different uses. Makes it more dynamic, more active, more people there. there it's livelier and it's um, it, it's quite nice. It, 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 there are different ideas we can, we can approach and look at from that standpoint. Um, the next big challenge for everybody is going to be all these inside corners of big old L-shaped centers. Right. Similar things we're, we're exploring and exploiting to to give patio space and give back a little bit of that back of house sort of warehousey area storage that the landlords never could lease anyways, except to a big tenant in the corner that was maybe a restaurant. Unfortunately, that big tenant in the inside corners, they have the smallest storefront band uh, for signage. Absolutely. (laughs) So that's always a big challenge. I've got new ideas for that for the next uh, podcast. So 90% of vacancies in shopping centers are in the elbow space. Mm -hmm. Elbow space. So um, if you could find a way to revitalize that that square footage, that space, I mean, it would really go go a long way. Similar patio slash uh, specialty parking, maybe connecting the front to the back through that elbow, things like that. If you have any parking in the back that's just kind of unused, uh, there's a lot of ways we're looking at like that with uh, patio areas and things that it's hard to give away leasable square footage, but if it's not leased, what good is it, right? Exactly. At least you can make it maybe an amenity to the center, such as a fountain area or, you know, dog walking little park, or I don't know, you know, different types. Pocket park or uh, pocket parks, there's great value in that. What is a pocket park? They A little mini park at a little little, little node or a little kind of intersection or a corner or some little space that it it could be a nice uh, stopping off point. So it's not a big, massively planned park that would take up, you know, the, a, a lot of area on your, in, in, as a footprint in your shopping center, but it would be something strategically planned and placed 
where uh, they could have a few benches, some umbrella, table. We apologize. We had a slight technical difficulty, but we're going to take you to the next section of this podcast. Deaton, can you please walk us through and draw up on a whiteboard per se, the ideal shopping center design from building orientation, bay depth, ceiling heights, parking layout, things of that nature. Um, You know, I say orientation, you know, parallel to the road or perpendicular to the road or L-shaped and bit, you know, the different bay depths, you know, 50, 60, 80, 90, 100, and what you've seen kind of throughout your experience and what's worked, what hasn't. I think placemaking, wayfinding, and merchandising are, are three ideas and, and concepts that uh, some of our clients, several of them, um, really focus on. That's got to be our primary focus. There's the placemaking, the wayfinding, and the merchandising, and I'll kind of talk that through. Is is the perfect center is did of course varies between project to project, client to client, site to site, but for the, our clients. Those three things, the placemaking, wayfinding, and merchandising, play into that perfect center. Mm-hmm. And it's it all has to do with uh, bay depth. You talk about that. Well, first orientation, is it southeast or west-facing? Really, you want to... Uh, You want to see it. If you can't see it, you can't shop it. Storefront and signage is everything. So we want to be oriented towards uh, the access corridors towards the street. You have to be visible from the street. You hope to be. After that, it becomes a signage challenge uh, to for wayfinding. Uh, you want to make wayfinding as easy as possible and clear so the tenants can come in and see the center. So site planning is important. The promenade, the procession into it, a sense of place. You've arrived. There's something special here. I want to shop here and stay here. Um, so orientation, that's, that's A, but there's the bay depth, the configuration, and those kinds of things that I really think you're asking. 20, what, yeah, what's yeah. A, what's an ideal bay depth? 20 by 60 is still the king, um, 20 feet by 60 feet deep. That's our basis for at least planning out all the small shop space. Um, that We like to pepper small shops in between junior anchors or bigger tenants to break it up and give a center relief and not be... A, a mile of small shops or just a big cluster of four, three or four junior anchors all side by side, the, the mo- more successful ones will tend to be respectful of, of those breaks. And, and, and when you have a small shop and, and more junior anchor opportunities peppered together throughout the center instead of being uh, clustered in different areas unto themselves. So along with that, uh, breaking up of facades and whatnot comes pocket parks and little landscape opportunities for benches and chairs and seating and whatnot that really helps the center uh, plant from a planning standpoint, from the shopper standpoint. And, you know, quite frankly, we could talk about landscaping and, and you know, parking orientation and all those kinds of things, but demising walls and that's kind of technical. Mm-hmm. It, it, a lot of it has to, you know, storefront heights, uh, Ideal 12-foot clear interior ceiling heights to allow tenants flexibility for the ones that like to have open ceilings or higher ceilings. And that helps you for the future as well if you re-tenant the space. Flexibility, yep. 
Absolutely. Maybe the uh, the first generation tenant only needs 10 feet, but better plan it for 12 for a tenant that would like more for second generation. Uh, flexible demising walls and signage bands are of utmost importance. Talk about the demising wall and the flexibility with demising walls. How is how if you split up, you know, spaces 25 feet by 60 feet, you know, 1500 square foot spaces more or less, and you have it Talk about how you design these yeah. demising walls so that in the future maybe you can plug in a 4,500-square-foot tenant or a 3,000-square-foot tenant or larger. So can you talk about that? Yeah, at that point, if, if, if our design is is too broken up, meaning if we make give every single tenant their own identity and, and less of a, a thematic, um, we can give them branding elements, perhaps, uh, depending on the, on, the, on the importance of the tenant or whatnot, or the location of it. But uh, it needs to be flexible because if, you, let's say you have a, a 12,000 square foot strip, and it, at first generation you have six or eight bays, um, th- th- whatever the math would work out, well, inevitably you're going to get a tenant that wants 4,500 square feet, not 1,200 or, or 2,400, mm-hmm. and, and you know, one of those divisible by 20 by 60 bays. Mm-hmm. So as soon as demising walls start shifting, you have to be flexible, especially when you're planning it from scratch, because you don't know who those tenants are going to be yet until you lease it. A lot of times we start designing the shell and the storefronts and facades before we know every tenant that's going to plug in there ultimately first generation. So that's where we have to be very mindful of those signage bands and the, be flexible enough for our design to adapt to a tenant getting wider or skinnier and still let, allow them to have their own storefront signage band and identity that doesn't overlap, say, with another tenant. Sure. Yeah. And then, you know, parking, lay, pl- parking layout, you know, parking in the front, on the sides of the building and things of that nature, it's pretty standard for the most part, right? Well, I will say the more opportunities you can have for parking, uh, pedestrian access, and that experience from the car to the storefront, and then from storefront to storefront, uh, that pedestrian experience is very important to for, for, for shopper retention and whatnot, and, and the, to give a pleasurable experience. Absolutely. And then the shopper retention, I mean, there's things that you can do to your center to, to help with that. I mean, the whole design and, and like you said, the whole the whole picture, the whole landscape is helps with shopper retention. But there's a couple things that you can that you can do to add to that, such as adding benches in front of your plaza or adding music that might help and make it a more lightning atmosphere. Can you talk a little bit about that? Little table, umbrella, chairs in Florida heat. Even if you stick it out in the sun, somebody will sit there and find it. They, people love patio and, and little bench areas and little opportunities to, to stop and, and reflect and rest and, and decide to go to the next shop or not. And, and so those little opportunities are always there and we're, we're mindful and respectful of them. And then, you know, talking about signage, if you could for a moment, you might have these older centers that have built-in grandfather monument signs and things of that nature. and. Uh, maybe you're coming in and you're redeveloping it or, you know, cleaning it up or doing, you know, major renovations. Um, can you talk about how important it is to try and retain maybe some of that old signage that might not be up to current code? New codes have historically uh, made signage a little more restrictive and shorter. And, you know, we don't we're not allowed big lollipop signs anymore with just a big pole and a giant circle on top. Um 
there's a lot of community standards, especially. Well, if you can't, I've said it uh, ad nauseum, if you can't see it, you can't shop it. So signage and monument signage into your center is so important. And we even do, when we renovate signage to help rebrand and refresh a center, we try to maintain as much copy square footage area as we can. The design of it, physical design of it, should of course match the center and the themes and whatnot. But wall signage and tenant signage, especially building signage, we need to make sure that, that it's high, it's visible, it's bright, it, it's, it, it, it's proportionate to the, to, to the facades. And we allow them to go as big as code allows uh, a lot of times. We don't want to crunch them down and, and design small sign band areas where code would allow them bigger, but they quite, quite frankly can't fit it on there. That would be a poor design. So we will even take older centers with signage that is low or, or maybe even non-illuminated chain hung or something like that. We have an example of a shopping center in Naples where we literally took the signage raised it up higher, created a new sign ban above the canopy for slat with slat work, mm -hmm. um, and put, put them on a new sign band, raised it up, lot more opportunity for visibility. Absolutely, and, and the banners underneath the overhangs and things of that nature, so you can see all the retailers down the row. We had a center that was a mile long. I mean, a 400,000 square foot center, con continuous arcade, colonnade, we had blades, we, we installed blade signs, mm -hmm. perpendicular, you know, mm. small placards perpendicular to the storefronts at each door that, that you, as you're walking down the, the, the sidewalk, you see all those tenants down the line and, and, and uh, get you excited about something down the line a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what are some ways that you've got creative with some signage? You know, you have so many municipalities that are so strict on their sign codes and things that they, you know, they can do. I mean, for instance, uh, down in downtown Sarasota, it's it's a Staples or like an Office Depot that actually did their sign inside of their building envelope and put a piece of glass in front of that. You know, there's there's you always got to figure out ways you know, to work with what you, with, with the limits that you have. Yeah, I did a, I did an interesting signage design at a Bank United in town here um, that, that, that where we pulled it in front of that glass like you're talking about up high, not right up against a solid wall. Is it individual letters or a box sign? That's one thing, but, but signage can really make or break um, your project. There's not really huge innovative um, well, I, I take that back. It's an entire industry unto itself, signage is, but um, it's tenant-driven and, and prototype-driven a lot of times. It's all about their branding. So, so we, don't, we don't mess around with, with signage too much in terms of trying to make it avant-garde and, 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 and flip, flip it upside down. There's a comfort in certain rules to play within signage. We let the tenant uh, take the lead on what they want. And if we have exciting opportunities, there's an example where not able to do illuminated signage by jurisdiction, it had to be externally illuminated, meaning like gooseneck fixtures or, or light mm -hmm. fixtures shining on it right? Uh, to illuminate it. Well, we put the public sign on the water tower and had the lights shine on the water tower that lit it up. And so, you know, we, we pulled that. that was a creative way to take a sign and, 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 and do it 
represented in a totally different manner. I see, I've seen some drugstores, Walgreens and things of that nature actually paint their sign on the building. How has that looked at? Well, you know, I've, I've noticed that uh, Dunkin' Donuts it has, a, has a, you know, they're, they're painting that graphic on the side with the, sort of the cup of coffee or something that, that it looks quite neat on the drive-through side and whatnot, even the other side of the building. Uh, there's a dangerous line we could walk between what is building graphics and signage and what's not, you know, murals and things like that are beginning to pop up into centers and, and things more reactive uh, or, or proactively uh, artistic, let's say. Sure. Uh, it's, it, it, could, it could become signage very quickly, though. <laughs> a painted sign can, can still be a painted sign, you know? Absolutely. And I mean, you even just had the idea of if you have a center and you have uh, you know, a walkway in front of all the retail storefronts, maybe putting like almost like a plaque in the ground or like an emblem in the ground so that it's in, inside of the concrete so that when people are walking, it, it's visible in front of the, in, um, in front of the stores and, uh, you know, on the, on the walkway paths. I love that idea. You know, like a, you take a, you take a segment of sidewalk every 20 feet or something down your sidewalks and you, and you have a inset of the, of the company of the developer's logo or the owner's logo. I noticed that Kimco has a, I was excited to go down to, uh, I was touring Dania uh, point property down there in South Florida that they've, that they're working on. It's fabulous the way they've uh, taken all their uh, site furnishings and branded it with Kimco. They've actually got all their trash cans and benches and 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 mailboxes and everything, and they've got these uh, uh, like laser cut into the metal, you know, the yeah. Kimco logos everywhere. Very 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 discreet and and and, and you know respectful, but it, it's a another level of, of interest and sure. branding that that. that it's there. Sure, sure. You know, everything comes down to a return on investment, right? And and sometimes when you have an existing center and you want to go through and, and make, you know, renovations and, and reposition, redevelop, you know, you have to really look at the costs associated with that. But what are some ways that shopping center owners can make improvements to existing shopping center plazas that would give them kind of the most return on their investment? Well, I'm going to reiterate that the, the, the very first programmatic thing that we go through is ask our client, what's their intention for the center? Uh, do they want to own it long term and collect rent or do they want to sell it as a, as a business model uh, for profit? So those will make design decisions based on that, like life cycle costs and budget decisions, not to cheapen the architecture or the product, but to know that um, uh, there is a a fluidity to uh, a center that has new tenants coming in and it will likely be redeveloped and renovated anyways through second and third generation with retenancy. So that 25 year life cycle, uh, life cycle of, a, of a retail property I like to talk about is um, it, you need to renovate along the way but after about 25 years retail architecture is um, of, a, of a nature that, that it needs to be majorly redeveloped or, or just scrape and start over after about 25 years. We're not building these for 50 or 100 years to last because of the fluidity and the changing needs. We need to change and adapt and keep them fresh. Mm -hmm. And so like in ascending order of importance, what would you say improvements to assets would be? Is it, you know, landscaping, facades, painting? Do you kind of give us like a rundown of how owners can make uh, improvements to centers, um, 
you know, just to kind of freshen up and give them a new look? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, the lowest common denominator has to be washing it, power wash and clean it. Just keep it clean and debris free and just keep it fresh and clean. Uh, that goes a long way, like a quarterly maintenance. Property maintenance, it has to be the lowest common denominator, but but to keep it fresh and actually renovate and in, in almost an ascending order of maybe even importance and cost would be repaint. Repaint it to, to give it a new theme. You've done that at one of your centers, I loved it. You picked two or three colors, you, you repainted it an entirely different palette. You know, you get rid of the dark aging colors that there were yesterday and you freshened it up and it becomes alive and lively just with paint colors and it completely can transform the center. Would you agree? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, picking paint colors was one of the hardest things I had done, you know, but it's definitely a process that you have to go through and understand kind of the vibe and the temperature that you want to obtain you know, in your selections. Yeah, it's the feeling and the theme. I mean, do you want to make it, you want to convert it from an old terracotta, you know, old Florida, uh, the, those browns and, and oranges we use, or do you want to make it light and coastal casual look, you know, that kind of thing. You can really transform it just through paint color. Well, signage, we talked about that a lot. You can transform it through signage, just refreshing your sign panels, your bands, uh, repainting them, uh, brand new box signs, brand new channel letters, whatever, you, whatever kind of the sign program. If you go to an aging center, I talked about if you can't see it, you can't shop it. The first thing you see is signage. It should be one of the first things you see. And if that doesn't look good, ugh, the entire center, it just takes every tenant down a notch. And, uh, and, and it, you need it to be fresh, keep it up, keep it bright, lit, uh, always, you know, relamped, always. Um, what, what's your favorite type of building signage? Is it the backlit LEDs that they're doing now and things of that nature, the yeah, U-channel? Yeah, everything's going LED. I say bring neon back. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, more and more people in jurisdictions want individual letters, not big box signs. And, but otherwise, that's its own industry and its own science of, of, of just the, the, the way signage is made and whatnot. But people like big individual letters and color. Uh, you need to decide if you want to uh, theme it with everybody has the same color or size and whatnot. Oh, you have to allow tenants to have as big a sign as they as code allows. Uh, we've not done our, a good job of design. If we create a sign band and the tenant has to cram their sign into a little band, but by code they're allowed bigger. Uh, but they need to get as big as they can or they're allowed to be. That's one of our jobs to, to, to make sure we do. Absolutely. And so what are some things that owners can do to their parking lots? You know, obviously restriping, repaving, you know, what are some added benefits that they can get by doing that? Yeah, you know, a reseal of your lot, restriping it can be very inexpensive and it um, it immediately freshens it up. If you drive into a new center and it's got a fresh black top and, it, it, and not an old cracked faded everywhere and all the stripes are, uh, the stalls are faded, that looks like a brand new center overnight. Fresh paint, it's clean, and a, and, a, and new striping. That alone looks like a brand new center overnight. 
Absolutely. And then the restriping, you can get added parking spaces there as well, correct? Bingo. A lot of times, uh, some of the older centers especially, we're playing with big, giant 10 or 10 by 20 foot stalls. Uh, a lot of times we can pare that down to maybe a 9 by 18, even even reconfigure the parking lot without kicking into a rezoning by restriping and, and redoing the aisles uh, and directions where we can pick up another two stalls per row sometimes and the property can, without trying too hard uh, or m moving a lot of landscape islands, getting another dozen parking stalls for your center. The beauty of that is flexibility always to have more parking for different kinds of tenants like restaurant you know the higher higher occupancy tenants like restaurant always looking for more parking for them absolutely who doesn't as an owner who doesn't like more parking at their plaza and that's a great way uh to to get that added benefit just through restriping um and uh dean talk to me about facades i mean let's talk about facades what are some ways that owners can you know, change the elevation of their center, give it a new look and, you know, with new bands that stuck that are stuccoed and give it kind of some depth and uh, the visual appeal. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. You know, if you're really renovating a facade, a lot of people say, I'd like to renovate the facade. Um, and so other than just understanding budget and how far we go not to overdesign, uh, it's all about that return on investment. Um, quick note to that. I like to say if there's a move I make uh, that, that might be self-serving, like some design move, and I add a feature to a building, if that's not really responding to a tenant's program or the client's, our, our developer's um, wants and needs and interests, then then it's not really needed. And and does it does it earn one more dollar of rent? If the answer is no, I need to, to think maybe we don't make that move. We'd be more efficient about it. Let's put our focus somewhere else, like on... Um, the, the, the appearance of the facade to make it aesthetically pleasing for through materials. Not just color and signage changes, but you could change the actual material. You could add a stone or, or just veneers and mm -hmm. cladding like that without changing the actual construction of the wall. Sure. Um, so those new kind of materials you can lay on, whether it's metal panels, uh, wood panels, rain screen type things, uh, to change maybe if you want to change from a stucco look or a heavy stucco look. Mm -hmm. um, or it, it can be very efficient to do that and, and really transform the look of a facade. Of course, new storefronts and um, uh, will always look good, but storefronts are storefronts. They're terribly costly to change unless we need to, to change them for tenants with new uh, and upgrade to hurricane coats and insulation and things like that. Yeah, because I mean, the glass storefront can be one, some of the most expensive components to a face, right? And it could be like 20 to 50% of your facade a lot of times, your glazing is. And so, um, you know, the frame material, it has to look good and fresh. And you know, even the even the color of all your storefront frames could could be designed with a color or repainted to, uh, to give some pop or, or accent. Uh, sometimes instead of just silver or black storefront mullions. Absolutely. And then, you know, renovations of the existing building shell, uh, you know, HVAC, electrical fire protection systems and, and interior renovations. Those just get done kind of, um, you know, progressionarily as tenants, as as the spaces are retenanted and new tenants come into those, you know, those those older units. Uh, a lot of those upgrades do occur during that period of time. Um, 
And then, you know, talk about the, the reconfiguring of the entire property, um, you know, to highest and best uses, you know, creating new end caps, creating end caps, rezoning, replatting. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, we talk about renovation and, and those levels of renovation. And, and so renovation is different than redevelopment. If you look to redevelop your center, you're looking at different kinds of ideas and bigger ideas to maybe increase your revenue. And so really the, some of the ideas we like to explore uh, are opportunities to create more leasable square footage always. How do we do that? Uh, sometimes we could do it through adding an end cap or actually adding on to a building uh, is not uncommon. Uh, we can actually add a drive-through lane sometimes or or a new canopy at the end for patio space and you know getting a customer patio seating area for an end cap uh, to give a restaurant opportunity or a drive-through pickup opportunity is very valuable and can really increase uh, the, the the value and the and the traffic at your center mm-hmm. uh, well other things the same the same way we create new spaces at the ends of centers of strips and whatnot um, we've we've had that idea where it, we've actually implemented it successfully into a real project that's been completed. Um, it, w- it was a little bit unusual. We suggested to remove leasable square footage. Now, initially, you'd think that's crazy because we always want to add it. It's all about how much you know rent we can get per square. Is foot. this the end capped idea? We talked about that earlier, I think, and that's that's such a great concept and something that you've you've created that has just been absolutely an amazing way to add value um add value uh to a center and um you know carving out an out parcel and things of that nature some other ways that you that you know value can be created um in we have we have taken uh in fact there's a property in sarasota right on um one of the main thoroughfares uh right on b ridge and Big intersection, aging L-shaped shop, shopping center. Uh, a developer asked us to look at it and see what were some opportunities to improve the center. Uh, we looked at the at creating a new drive-through at an end cap. We also looked at removing some of the end cap to reconfigure that portion uh, to add an out parcel. We had a plan where we could add up to two out parcels and redevelop the one that ex- was existing to be more efficient and more attractive at the hard corner. And so to create two and improve one of the out parcels there uh, as an opportunity, it increased the value of that center threefold without even trying to actually renovate the building proper. Absolutely. And Deaton, what are you seeing uh, from a retail design standpoint in a lot of these boxes, um, whether that's grocery, whether that's traditional uh, soft goods, you know, TJ Maxx, Ross, Target, you know, um, uh, Publix, things of that nature. How are they designing the interior of their box to accommodate the change in the evolution of retail, um, to accommodate more pickup delivery, um, you know, the uh, the warehousing that a lot of these companies are doing, you know, many distribution centers. What are you seeing from your experience recently? 
Well, it's exciting because it's really changing fast and um, nobody has the magic elixir for knowing what's happening or what's going to happen. I think everybody is trying something new. Uh, they're trying to respond to the way we're shopping and the way we're, we're, we're just socializing and everything now. And so, you know, historically you've seen people have been doing it all along. The smart retailers have been doing it all along. The drugstores, when they move the pharmacy to the back, instead of up front, well, you have to go through the entire store, back and forth. More opportunity to shop to get to that pharmacy and back. Grocers have done it with the, the pre-prepared meals and kiosks and, and, and whatnot. That They're doing a lot of different things with the interiors and the prototyping. Uh, but, but really, it's up to, um, it, it's up to each tenant, what their business model is, their pro forma, and how we're gonna, how we're gonna um, ultimately change the way we do commerce. Are we gonna be more of a, a, a pickup and delivery? Are footprints gonna get smaller? It becomes more distribution. We're always gonna have architecture need for real estate, but will it be more- Technology, it sometimes fails us. We missed a little bit there, just a few seconds. We apologize, but we're gonna take you back to the podcast. Thanks for your patience. If they're not even active, they're there. There's a driveway, there's a lane, a canopy, and it's just blocked up right now, but it's ready to pop open to make that that sort of delivery window and distribution from that end of the building. Um, it, it, it's exciting, everything's changing so fast. We don't know yet. Absolutely, it's the same thing with the Uber and the Lyfts and the new designs going into new retail projects and now. Hey, pickup windows now in the restaurant, a second pickup window just for Uber. Yeah, all those, those things are happening today. What about the concept of ghost kitchens? You know, maybe looking at ghost kitchens and some, maybe some of these elbow spaces and things of that nature. Oh, I mean, yeah. what, what, is, what is your opinion and, and your thoughts on, on ghost kitchens to much as you know about them? You, it, that's such a new idea. It, it's exciting to even think of the possibilities for for those dead areas and those inside corner elbows of centers that, that, that are hard to lease. Um, we're not talking to a lot of restaurant tours who are who are who at least have revealed their plans and intentions for for exploring and exploiting the idea of uh, ghost kitchens that could service multiple locations. Yeah, but it's happening. We know it's happening. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to help plan some of those spaces and even reduce f square footages for the stores that they do deliver from to help their business model. I think that'd be an exciting dynamic to figure that all out with them. Uh, we have the tools to, to help. It's happening. It's not going to go away. Might as well figure it out, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it just, this is such a great industry. You're so lucky to be a part of it and, you know, to wake up every day and do something that you love to work on projects. Um, you know, that's, that's, what I, that's what I love about what I do to be able to work work on a project and, and see it the whole way through and then you know stand across the street and watch consumers um, interact with the with the asset shop the asset well, go into Starbucks come out happy with coffee go into you know a grocery store come out with groceries and seeing how it impacts local communities and commerce and and you know it's it's just that that's what gets me excited about what we do. That's what it's all about. Uh, the success of the project, the success that our clients can experience with their revenue. Uh, it, it may sound trite, but, but, but that's what it's all about. 
will the tenant be successful? That means the developer and the owner is successful. That means I was successful because I, I don't care how pretty my facade looks. It, it, look at that. Look at me. Look, look at what I designed. That's not what it's all about. It, it It's when you see it being used and enjoyed by the public right. and there it's full it's full of tenants 100% leased and the parking lot is full that's a successful project absolutely and and retail will continue to evolve i think you know um, 10 years ago the shopping center tenant mix was 10 to 20% restaurant based uses now in today's day and age, it's even it's closer to twenty to forty percent of the restaurant composite. The, the I'm sorry, the tenant composition is made up of restaurant styled uses, and we're going to continue to move forward uh, with experiential retail things to get us off of the couch, service based, internet resistant uses, and um, our 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 industry is just so fluid and it's ever evolving and it will continue to evolve and there will be winners and there will be losers. The ones that decide to invest in kind of the omni-channel approach will be successful. The ones that don't will quite frankly go extinct more or less. And so, it, you know, our industry, it's, it's so, it's so ever changing. Yeah. You know, if we can do, if we can do good placemaking, you know, good responsive placemaking, then, then we're giving the public, the, the customers, the shoppers, it, we're, we're giving them that sense of something else, some activity, that sense of excitement, that, that, that what is that it factor? What's the word that I'm looking for? That, that experience? That experience, that, that, that capital E, that's all I ever hear anymore is experience. Customers want an experience and uh, you know, let's give it to them. Absolutely. Well, Dean, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I enjoy our conversations. You're always on the cutting edge of what's going on in the industry from a design, from a placemaking standpoint. Um, very thought provoking. I enjoy our dialogue and, um, you know, you're, you're a preferred vendor for us. And we look forward to continuing to work with you and referring our clients to you uh, and working on many other projects into the future. So I just I want to thank you for your time here today. Thank you. Um, it, it's amazing that, that you have this uh, program to share, uh, you know, to be knowledge sharing. Uh, and I'm just, I'm just uh, pleased that, that you thought I had anything to contribute to your audience because uh, this is what I do. This is what we do. It's our passion. And I think that, that you're just ex excited about it as I am. So, so I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Deaton.